This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, I got my man Jeff Boyd, recurring guest Jeff Boyd, from the 716 Sports Podcast, also from a new startup called Buffalo 20. We're going to talk some Buffalo Sabres. Of course, we're going to talk plenty of Buffalo Bills. We'll talk some Tom Brady, where he might go should he leave the New England Patriots, which is starting to sound like it is a very realistic possibility this offseason. And we'll also talk about some quarterbacks who may be a fit for the Patriots should Brady depart them. Talk about Eli Manning, his retirement, if he's going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame, if he belongs there. We'll talk Zion Williamson's NBA debut this week. All kinds of stuff, including, again, his new startup, Buffalo 20. Jeff will tell us all about that. I'll have that for you in just a few minutes. Before that, though, I want to let you know today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo theme design is sold every two weeks, and then that shirt is gone. Here's the best part about what they do. Folks, if, if you're familiar with the company, you already know this. Every single time they sell a shirt, and I mean every time, a donation is made from that sale. It goes to that specific campaign or to a worthy charity each and every time. And since 2013, when they launched, their designs and manage and raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. I'm talking like narrowing in on 700K, folks. It's just crazy. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of many people. It's great to see. And not to mention, these are really cool looking shirts. They're designed well. They're comfy. They're sporty to wear. They look great on you. Head on over to 26shirts.com. See what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do this pod. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone, what's going on? Moranalytics Podcast, episode 189. Thank you to all you fine people out there who continue to listen to the podcast. Subscribe, appreciate each and every single one of you. Real quick, before I jump into today's episode, I've been a little bit like lackadaisical of late going out and getting new guests to come on the podcast and have those like long form fun interviews that this podcast kind of built its reputation on early on. Anyway, I've reached out to a lot of people and I can assure you that I got a handful of really good new guests coming on in the next few weeks. I'm going to get back to that format that worked for us early on. But anyway, one thing that's not going to change is that I'm still going to have plenty of sports talk and pop culture talk with some of my favorite people out there in the podcast world, my recurring guests. In fact, I'm joined by one of them right now, my man, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast and other ventures. Actually, we're going to talk about those as well. 
been a minute, Jeff. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Uh, not too much. It's been a little bit, but things are going well, getting through the holiday season. Hope everyone down your way had a had a good Christmas and a good New Year's and end of a, a little bit of an end of a bill season. So a chance to catch up here and kind of take a look back at a couple of months of things that we that we missed talking about together here. Yeah, we're going to talk about a variety of things. I mean, I got some bill stuff for you, got some Sabres stuff, some general random stuff. But before any of that, though, like I said, you got other stuff going on now. It's been, well, actually, I'm looking. It's only been about a month or so, but that things happen in a month. Something's changed. Now you're also involved with another venture. You're still with the 716 Sports Podcast. I, I love that show. And now you're also involved with something called Buffalo 20. For people out there listening who might not know what that is, tell us what that's all about. Yeah, so with the start of the new year, um, myself, uh, Bill Kenny, who you recognize from the 716 Sports Podcast, yep. uh, Nick John, who did 716 Sports Podcast with us and used to be the trivia guy for that before he moved down to Maryland, and Eric Walschlager, who I work with a lot, um, calling hockey in the area, formed uh, what we're calling Buffalo 2020. So here with the in the year 2020, it's a little bit of a Buffalo sports retrospective looking back on players, moments, things that have happened here between the years 2000 and 2020. You know, when you think about the great history of Buffalo sports. And there is a lot of it in spite of the recent, you know, sure. things you think about when you think about the bills and the Sabres, yeah. the, the era that we grew up in, you know, being a little bit of the younger generation, I'll be, I'll be 29 this year. So my formative years of Buffalo sports fandom are the first sporting events. I remember are no goal and home run throwback. Yeah. And that kind of becomes the basis for, for this. So when we think about the, the players that mean things to us in spite of the droughts and eras, it's a chance for us to go back and think about players, moments that kind of got left behind. So um, every day we're posting an article on our website, buffalo2020.com, as well as our social media, both Twitter and Facebook. We encourage you to, if you're interested, hop on and, and follow along. That focuses on a specific thing that happened on this date or maybe a player who was born on this date and a chance to reflect on them and their time here in Buffalo, maybe even their continuing time here in Buffalo. And then along with that, we're recording a weekly podcast. I'll actually be recording that about three hours from now uh, with the boys and a little bit of a long-form audio version to go along with that. But it's a, it's a bit of a, a journey, a labor of love, kind of through the, the history here of the, the 21st century in Buffalo sports. When it comes to the podcast, are you going to have a pretty much set manufacture date like a production date like what day is the week is going to be on is it going to be the same or is it going to vary depending on when you and the and the boys could get together so we've been lucky enough so far to always be recording it on thursday nights and then we we're releasing it the following wednesday uh so with every article so the the podcast covers a week week's worth of time so we are posting articles for the january 1st through 7th time frame then on january 7th you're getting the audio version of that as well and then coming out again here the next week so what we'll be recording here tonight we're taping uh, this year on january 23rd uh, this will be actually our fourth episode that will cover the time frame going through here for the next week um, so it's going to be consistently taping on thursday nights and then being released on the the tail end of that week the next week that's cool man i'm gonna have to go check out the first couple episodes i haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I, I love the concept. I think it's unique and I think it's something fun and different because I'm going to tell you the last thing that I think the sports consuming fan needs in Buffalo is yet another podcast that's talking about current day Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres each and every single week. No disrespect to all of them, including my own. You know what I mean? But to do something like that is something different and fun and unique. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of fans will get an opportunity to read the content and listen to the podcast and kind of relive a lot of those memories that you're providing. 
Right, and that, that was exactly why it was created. And I know Bill and Nick were the uh, the, for, the founding fathers, really, of this concept. They've been kind of hammering away at it over the last couple of years, but brought me on board over the summer, and it really resonated with me, you know, being a younger Buffalo sports fan. Like, the, the Super Bowl era sounds like it was great. It was great for my, for my parents who got to live through that and really were old enough to understand it. But for those of us who weren't lucky enough to be, you know, big sports consumers back then that those those memories aren't our teams i mean it's cool to think about jim kelly and steve tasker and think about you know the french connection and all those things but our teams are the droughts and missed field goals and dropping touchdowns in the end zone and Vili Leno scoring goals in overtime, all these, all these little things. And some of which we have talked about, some of which we will talk about still as the, as the year rolls on are really what Buffalo sports is to us. And in spite of that, in spite of all the disappointment, these players who are gone in a year, free agent flunks draft misses that still there's a love between the teams and the players and the fans that exists in spite of the lack of success and kind of exploring that dynamic. And ultimately we're, we're, we're huge sports guys who came from this era of marked lack of success. And there's a lot of positive things to talk about players in time still, um, especially now you look at what the Sabres did in the, the earlier two thousands, what the bills have been able to do here these last couple of years. So it's not all negative, but kind of that balance between, a team that can't succeed and fans who still endlessly support them in spite of that. Yeah, absolutely. And just so everyone knows you are still involved. It might not be in every single week, but you are still very much involved with the 716 sports podcast. In fact, I just, I listened to this week's show. It was a very good one. You guys had Brian Duff on for an interview and you had my guy, Joe Yurden on for an interview as well. Really good show, but you're so involved and you're going to still be doing stuff with them for the foreseeable future, right? Oh yeah, I, I this is not me changing any commitments. This is just something additional for me. I still plan on doing seven one six sports podcast each and every time that we record within within reason as long as I'm available, of course. But this doesn't change anything else I'm doing. This is just something additional I'll be tacking on to my to my weekly schedule here. Yeah, and you do other shit too, because I'll tell you what, Jeff, I remember a handful of months ago I used to call you up, man, and say, Yo, let's tape. Can you do it? It was always yes. Now it's like, Oh, you got this, you got that, you got this, you got that. <laughs> what else you got going on? I know you're calling games too. Yeah, so let, let's. Uh, this will be a fun exercise. So, just a little bit of look in, inside what a week looks like for me. So, Monday night we record the Seven One Six Sports podcast. So, I did that. Tuesday was a night off. Went to Barbell for the first time, by the way, Pat. Went to Barbell in East Aurora for the first time in my life. That was fantastic. All right, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's cut off. Yeah. Let's. I don't want to get into the rest of your week yet. Let's stop yeah, yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. Did you like it a lot? What What kind of wings did you get? So we, we got 20 wings. My girlfriend and I split 20 wings. We got half of the medium. You got to get a, like a baseline for just a good. Absolutely. Wing. And then I was going out. I, I tweeted that I was looking for, you know, I was just going there and uh, Matt Perino jumped in and was kind enough to give me some recommendations. Uh, so we got the, the honey barbecue, which were fantastic. They were some of the, I, I'm saying right now, and I haven't been to a lot of the top, top places that you have in your rankings, but those are the best wings that I have had that I remember eating. They were fantastic. Wow. I haven't uh, had those so, here yet. Now you went to the one in East Aurora, correct? We did. So the original location in East Aurora. That's awesome. Yeah. God, they're, they're on the Mount Rushmore. You know, all these new places come about and, you know, people have w so many varying opinions, but I will say this, Barbell is probably the most universally accepted place among people who really like to go out and have wing places and talk about them. Like you might have some people love Macy's place pizzeria and I'm one of them. Some people think that they're not, you know, they're not worth the hype. Some people have varying opinions about like even nine 11, which is still number one on my list. And me and you had wings at Audubon North. I've heard a wide variety of opinions about those, but when it comes to barbell, that seems to be like the one place, maybe almost, but not quite as much as barbell 
That's like the one place where it seems like I don't ever hear anyone say anything bad about him. Kind of like Derek Jeter as a baseball player, who we're going to talk about, by the way, in a few minutes. You know, you know, nobody has nothing bad to say about Derek Jeter. I kind of feel like that's how I, most people feel about Barville. Yeah, and it was it was packed even for just like a Tuesday. We were there Tuesday at like seven thirty or something. It was still packed, yeah. and I, everyone was getting plenty of wings. It was it was good though. It was a very positive experience. We'll be back there sooner than later. Yeah, and that's the one downside. And you kind of hit on it. It's not the biggest place, and because it's so popular, that it's almost in East Aurora for a lot of people. It's not a hot hop skipping to jump away. It's it's pretty itself. So for some people, making a half hour, forty minute ride. You know, it's tough to go in there and sometimes wait an hour to get a table or whatever. Have to go next door to that little bar. But anyway, I didn't mean to throw you off track there. No, so no. resume. So we got 716 on Monday. Tuesday, you had some great wings. Wings on Tuesday. Last night, I'm working with the Buffalo Junior Sabres. So they're in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, which is like the second, like Connor McDavid will play in the OHL, which is the top tier junior hockey. And then Buffalo is in the OJHL, which is the Ontario Junior Hockey yeah. League. So it's top tier junior hockey. They're the only American team. Uh, this is my second full year doing play by play for them. Uh, so they played last night. They won nine to three. There was 115 penalty minutes. There was a lot going on in that game. Oh, wow. Uh, so this is Thursday night now that you and I are talking. So I'm recording with you now and then I'll be doing Buffalo 2020 in about three hours tomorrow uh, I'm going back to Harbor Center this is my first year doing play-by-play for Canisius men's D1 hockey so they play tomorrow at RIT and then Saturday night because the the Buffalo Sabres are in the all-star break the junior Sabres have Harbor Center for Saturday night so they're playing home Saturday night I'll be back there Saturday night for that and then Sunday I will catch my breath I'm gonna sit down with some friends and watch the Royal Rumble and that'll be my chance to decompress for the <laughs> I'll tell you what man I mean you were doing hockey stuff before but I I called it what was it almost like a year ago I said dude this guy's I didn't even know who you were at the time when I heard you on the 716 sports podcast I'm like Love this dude's voice. Plus, obviously, you know what you're talking about, and that matters, too. Now, people who listen to this podcast, you do have a microphone, but still, at the end of the day, we're connected 1,300 miles away via Skype, so it's never going to be quite the same as if I had you in studio right next to me with a live mic. But, uh, yeah, dude, you got the voice for it, and I knew it. I knew it a while ago. I'm not surprised by any of this at all. I'm really not. No, thank you. I, I appreciate the the sentiment. Hockey season's got another month and a half, and I'll tell you, I've got a vacation coming up at the end of March, and it will be the most relaxing time of my life because hockey season, I love it, and it gets a little, it does get a little, little crazy here this time of year when you got three or something games a week. But it's 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 been good. I've been very lucky to be able to work with so many so many great people up here in Buffalo, and you down by Buffalo by transitive property down there in Florida to get so much <laughs> time. And I love being busy. I know it gets a little crazy, but I, I love being able to do all of it. You might get a little bit bored now, and you're so busy now that the summertime might get a little more boring for you not having <laughs> live hockey i mean you still got the podcasting and writing to do but anyway so here's what i want to do jeff uh, we're obviously like i said we always end up talking bills and sabers but before that there's a couple quarterbacks that i want to talk about one of them is literally done the other one is close to being done let's start with tom brady because i thought this was going to be a non-story the entire time he's going to be a free agent and if you would ask me a hundred times over the last say year would Tom Brady play anywhere else except the Patriots? I would have said no. He's only going to play for New England. He's going to retire, whether it's as Super Bowl champion or whether he just goes out not playing well one way or the other. He wouldn't play for anyone else. But I'll tell you, based on what I'm reading, and some of this is from credible Boston writers out there, that it's starting to feel like there's a realistic chance that Tom Brady, who does not in any way, shape, or form sound like he's interested in retiring right now, he wants to play some more football, 
it sounds very reasonable that he could play somewhere else. Now, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, you know, is he going to be a New England Patriot or is he going to be play for another team? I still, at the end of the day, would say New England just because I can't fathom him playing anywhere else. But we could have said that about Peyton Manning had we had this podcast, what, five years ago. We could have said this back in the day about Brett Favre if we were doing a show. So never say never. We learned that in football. Very few players get to go out on their term on the team that they want to play on. It comes to an end for pretty much everyone. So before we talk about any potential teams, let me ask you your thoughts on Tom Brady. And do you think it's reasonable that he could play with another team? And do you feel like in your gut that it's very well might happen? You know, it's weird. And you mentioned some of the other guys who have happened. It's happened to Brett Favre, Peyton Manning. Think of even, even Joe Montana. You talk about the yeah. Joe Montana Super Bowl coming up. You don't yep. think about him as Kansas City, but he was there for a couple of years. It feels in in my heart of hearts, it feels like I I never I don't think he'll ever play somewhere else, but it isn't out of the question. I mean, I, I agree. It doesn't really sound like he has any intent on retiring. I think the Patriots, he's, he's taken a lot of team-friendly deals here over these last few years, and they still, because, you know, it's hard when you're consistently drafting at the bottom of every round, and, you know, you have the Josh Gordon trade doesn't end up working out for you. The running game is a little all over the place. You have injuries to Edelman, but it's hard to build a team so well so long. It, I don't think he's going to go anywhere else, but I think that, that this is a conversation that's going to continue. I would not be surprised if there is a team, I'm trying to think of who that team would even be, but a team that needs maybe just a quarter quarterback if they could get Tom Brady in he's proven he I mean he's a guy who doesn't need the money because his wife is by her own right a multimillionaire right and getting a couple million dollars to him doesn't matter if he's making 20 something million dollars a year it'll be interesting I think that there will be a team that is pushing to the last minute ultimately I think that he's back with New England I would be surprised if he's not because with those other guys too this is an even unprecedented level of success like Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl in Indianapolis but Indianapolis was not, you know, a dynasty unstoppable under Peyton Manning, even right. though they were so good for so many years. If Brady goes and Belichick is still there, it feels like the, even then it still feels like the end of an era because then you have to chase who the next guy is and try to build around. And this team without Tom Brady this year would not have made the playoffs. They were not, their defense was pretty good, but this is an offense league and kind of carrying them kicking and screaming on offense for some of those games. It feels like if he is gone, then, it's really the next chapter in the AFC. Well, I'll tell you what. Now, see, there could be varying opinions on Tom Brady's performance this year. And by varying opinions, I mean someone thinking the opposite. And by someone thinking the opposite, I actually, to be honest with you, that's me. Because I'm going to tell I don't agree with that because I actually think Tom Brady's play this year was kind of a detriment to this team. And there were times that I've watched the Wingman play a lot this year, not just the two games against Buffalo. I watched him play about at least five or six times. Was never... This was the first time we've ever played the Patriots. And of course, we lost to them twice because that's just, you know, the way it works when the Bills play the Patriots. This was the first time I can remember where I was flat out not scared of them whatsoever. Not scared of Tom Brady. I did not think he played well. And I could have made a case, at least in my own mind, that there were times where there were a handful of other quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe even a couple of them who were not playing well this past year, where the Patriots might have been a better football team, were another quarterback there instead of Tom Brady. But when you said about like other teams, it's hard to vision fits. I think that there's maybe two teams around the NFL that kind of fit that mold of what you said, that maybe they just need a better quarterback right now and that's all they need. And they could be a Super Bowl team. And one of them we just saw play last week and that's the Tennessee Titans. I mean, you could make a strong case that with the receivers they got a better defense, 
uh, well, not better than New England, but a good defense. They got good receivers, good tight end, obviously a great running game. And I'm just talking fit-wise. Again, I agree with you. It's very hard to ever envision this guy playing anywhere else except New England. And ultimately, I still don't think he's going to. But I see Tennessee as a potential fit. And then the other one, which is kind of like the popular sentiment, is the Chargers. I mean, they're they're pretty loaded with weapons. They got two great receivers, a great tight end. They got two running backs, Gordon and Eckler. There's a lot of talent on that Chargers team. They're in L.A. You know, there's a case to be made for LeBron. When he went out in L.A., it was at least part to get his next career, the next phase of his career going in terms of business. I could see that happening with Tom Brady, too. Now, there's other teams that are, you know, they need a quarterback, like certainly like Miami, if he wanted to go to Jacksonville, teams like that, but they stink. They're not going to win. I can't see a 43-year-old quarterback wanting to go there, although you could also make a case that a team like the 49ers went 4-12 and one year and then their Super Bowl the next, so it's not like unfathomable for any team to turn things around in one year, but if he's going to play somewhere else, the Chargers or the Titans are the only two fits I could think of. I don't know about you. It's interesting to think about Brady going to a team that's had Phillip Rivers for so long. I know the questions about Rivers' career and where he's going to be moving forward. You can almost see those two guys just trading places. Like Brady goes out there sure. and New England needs to find a guy to, to plug a gap here because they don't really have a, a guy waiting in the wings here at this point. You know, get a get a Rivers or a Cam Newton or someone like that to step in for a year while you try to fix the position. Um, I think that's a pretty good fit for him if they can swing it. It's curious to see what they're going to do with Melvin Gordon too out there because his contract situation trying to hold out before the year and then right Austin Eckler comes in and making way less money playing just about as well makes it interesting for him about to hit the market it, it's interesting to think about it would feel it would feel foreign I mean this is Emmett Smith as a cardinal kind of territory here for for Tom Brady wearing any other jersey it just feels like it'd be so wrong um, but maybe it's the right play for him if he thinks that the Patriots are not the best option for him maybe he take maybe he bets on himself here well I'll tell you the one thing that makes me think that he could leave is that He's made it pretty clear in reports I've read that he's done taking a lot. He's made a lot less money in his career than he could have so that New England can constantly sign other pieces. He's done doing that. And as you you said it when you were talking a few minutes ago, New England's not really notorious for overpaying guys. This would be kind of more of a, a big sentimental. You've done this for us for your career. So here's a whole shitload of money. That's just not how the Patriots operate, though. So the combination, if they're not going to pay this guy a lot of money, and he's not willing to accept one of the many deals he has in the past to get pretty much underpaid to stay in New England. That's why I think he could leave. But him, where he goes is only half the equation. That might not even affect the Bills. What would affect him, obviously, is if he leaves, who would be the Patriots quarterback going forward? Because the Bills play the Patriots twice a year, regardless of who the quarterback is. Now, Jared Stedham is the rookie last year who spent a full year in the system. Of course, they could just promote him and being a starter. but. This is a very veteran team, the New England Patriots. I'm sure Belichick doesn't have a lot of years left. I can't see them going with a young, unproven guy who's really done nothing in the NFL. So if he leaves, I mean, you've got a lot of interesting names out there. Many of them are free agents. Um, Jameis Winston, he could be out there. Ryan Tannehill could be out there. Teddy Bridgewater, that's a name that I've seen a lot of people saying would be a good fit in New England. He could be out there. Marcus Mariota, who kind of flopped in Tennessee. But you know Bill Belichick could take guys and do something with them that other coordinators and coaches couldn't. He's out there. And then you got potential guys who could be had in a trade. There's a big growing sentiment that Cam Newton won't be in Carolina next year. He could be had. Josh Rosen, who's busted with two teams. But again, was he ever in the right system either year? 
Miami and Arizona are good organizations. He could be out there. And then the last guy I had on my list, Andy Dalton, because Cincinnati has definitely drafted Joe Burrows. Andy Dalton can still play some football, you know? So there's the interesting thing to me isn't even as much where Tom Brady goes. It's going to be what quarterback's going to come and play for the New England Patriots if he leaves. Rosen's really interesting, and I kind of agree with your sentiment there that you know, it's too early to say that a guy who's had to play in two different systems in two years for two really bad offenses, two right. really bad lines. And you look at a lot of his his clips this year. He's he's thrown some decent balls. Just guys were not catching them in Miami here this year. And then Fitzpatrick, of course, comes in and kind of catches fire at the right moment. And all of a sudden, it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick show all over again. And more credit to Fitzy for finding ways to do this to us each and every year here no matter where he is uh, so that's an interesting prospect you think Miami might be willing to move on from him especially if they end up taking to a talk of Iloa or whoever at that spot of the draft that they'll be in the first round Andy Dalton is a veteran he's been around the block he knows what to do he's, he's not a terrible prospect <laughs> he's a veteran <laughs> yeah I mean, you're right Andy Dalton is consistently like the 20th best quarterback in the NFL no matter yeah. who is around him right you could do worse Cam is interesting. Cam, of course, the ceiling for Cam is way higher than either of those other two guys, I think. The question with Cam is how healthy is he? If his mobility is significantly limited, that really changes a lot of his game. I think he's still a pretty good passer. Uh, but the Cam Newton that was the the all-star, one of the best players in the league, was, you know, he was a freight train. He was a guy who was able to move for a guy his size. And interesting to see what his long-term status is. I think if you gave me a choice of those three guys, if Cam is healthy, I think that Cam is the guy that you would go with in that situation, depending, of course, on asking price. I think Carolina's in a position to ask a little bit more for Cam than Cincinnati is going to do for, for Dalton because you know they're taking Joe Burrow number one overall, and you know that Joe Burrow will be starting next year, and they basically made it clear that Finley is a guy they think highly enough of to bench Dalton for him at part of last season, so we'll see what they they do with that, but and it's the Patriots are going to be in a situation if this comes to fruition that anyone that they bring in is going to be held to just an unachievably high standard. And they will be hated by an entire fan base for every single mistake because they are going to be compared to what Tom Brady did and what Tom Brady has done for that franchise. And it sucks to talk about it and think about it all the time as a Buffalo sportsman. But really what he's achieved, what he has achieved there in his time is unprecedented. And whoever comes in here gets to play the role of scapegoat for anything that goes wrong because any Boston sports talk show host, will let me write your entire script for the entire next season down in Boston. If the Patriots are losing, it's going to be, well, you know, if they had paid more money to Tommy, this would, this wouldn't have happened. It's going to be that on a loop until the next guy comes in and maybe they can forget about it a little bit. So, I think the plan for them is, you know, get a veteran guy, figure out the guy for the future, maybe trade up in the first round, something, something that they don't do a ton. If you like a guy, develop a guy, and then try to plan on for that. Because if you lose Tom Brady, this season is a loss for the Patriots at the end of the day. I'm going to tell you something right now. I never thought I would be doing this twice in one week, but I have to do it because on Tuesday's podcast, I had my buddy Joe on with me and we talked about Tom Brady and I'm going to kind of rehash. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of this story. Living down here in Florida, it blows my mind how underappreciated, and I know that sounds crazy to say that, how underappreciated Tom Brady is to Patriots fans. I meet, you know, Buffalo, it's known that Buffalo has a lot of transplants that live in Florida, and I've certainly seen my fair share of Bills fans, but for every Bills fan that I meet in Florida, Jeff, I'm telling you, I meet 10 to 15 New England Patriots fans. There's so many more people from Boston than there is from Buffalo, at least in the region of Florida that I live in. Here's my point. I've had an opportunity to become friends with a good half dozen, up to maybe even a dozen Patriots fans who are from Boston. 
And the sentiment over and over and over that I hear is that Tom Brady's just a system quarterback. They can't get rid of the guy fast enough. They want him to leave. Like, you got to be freaking kidding me, man. You got to be kidding me. He, it's, it blows my mind how underappreciated and how little respect he has. I didn't realize it until I was down here and talking to actual Patriots fans as much as I do. That's Bill Belichick's team. That's never been a Tom Brady team. It just blows my mind the guy doesn't get more respect than he does. And I hate him because I'm a Bills fan. Yeah, I, I bet you a lot of those opinions are going to change the first time they have to watch the team without him. They've gotten complacent, it sounds like. You, you get so used to this. The, the bar is set so high and yep. you keep achieving at that level. Uh, the reality is what Bills fans live through is it's not easy to find franchise quarterbacks. It is difficult to find one for even a year, let alone for as long as they've had that kind of consistency under Belichick and Brady. So maybe get take it, get knocked down to earth a little bit. We'll serve some of them well, because I think everyone here in the 716 would, would kill for just a smidge of that success that that fan base has been able to live through here over this last little bit. Yeah. Let Josh Allen win one Super Bowl. Like I said last week, he could, he could play quarterback for the bills. till his arm falls off. If he wins one Super Bowl and bills fans are never going to be trying to get rid of him. Like I hear so many of them getting rid of Brady. And I'll tell you what, man, I feel a little bit dirty right now. Talking, spend all as much time as we did talking Tom Brady. Uh, I even feel dirtier that I kind of defended him a little bit. What about what about Eli Manning? So he retires this week, 16 years in the NFL. You know it's coming. We're going to touch on it briefly. But he's one of those lightning rod guys for is he a Hall of Famer? He is one of just five quarterbacks to win two Super Bowl MVPs. He's played seventh all-time passing yards and touchdown passes. I'm not going to go through all the stats. One thing that really impressed me that I didn't know when I was going through the stuff he won the Super Bowl twice. Both times he did it, he beat three teams that were 13-3 and three that year in the postseason. Did it twice. He's the only quarterback in NFL history ever to do that. On the downside, again, you know this. You're a football guy. Lots of years where Eli Manning was very mediocre, very average. So now he's retired. He has his pedigree to him with two Super Bowls, beating the Patriots twice. Do you think he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame? And do you think he should end up in the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done? What's your take on that? I think the the bar for getting a quarterback into the NFL Hall of Fame has been proven by some guys like, let's just pick a name out of hand. Let's say Terry Bradshaw. You don't have to be the best quarterback statistically if you're able to win the big one. And Eli Manning's enduring legacy at the end of the day will be that he won those Super Bowls, especially the Super Bowl where they dethroned the previously undefeated New England Patriots. Yeah. I think he'll make the I think he'll make the Hall of Fame because he's a top ten quarterback statistically. He had the longevity. He's an icon for a big market team. I also think that he should. I think that, you know, maybe he overstayed his welcome for a couple of years. Maybe if he had retired two years ago and our enduring memories were of him playing a little bit better, that this wouldn't even be a, a point of contention. But I think there were there were points where he, he he's never been the guy for the best team. The Giants have never been like that dominant team. He's never had the best weapons around him. He's always had some good guys. He always had Victor Cruz and Plaxico Burris and Jeremy Shockey and Saquon Barkley now at the end of his career. But it's never he never had that Patriots team with Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Gronk. He was a guy who was beating good defenses with average to slightly above average guys around him. And he made the most of it. And in the biggest moments when he was most needed, you know, he, he looks goofy on the sidelines. It's easy to make memes and jokes about, you know, him standing there with Manning face staring at the, the football field. But he turned into a superstar in the biggest moments. And there are guys who will have the best stats in the world. And in those top moments, they crumble. And it, it's I think it's almost fitting because the guy that comes to mind for the other end is, is Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers has made some of the best throws and had some of the best passing games I've ever seen 
seen in the NFL. Right. But Phillip Rivers in the playoffs crumbles. Yeah. And those two guys were traded for each other in that in that draft. And kind of sad to see that that era, the the era that really I was becoming, you know, a knowledgeable football fan, understanding the sport, maybe it just more than, oh, you take the ball across the goal line kind of level when those two guys were drafted for the first time. And I think that Eli deserves it. He in, in the top moments, he did what he had to do in winning two Super Bowls, winning two Super Bowl MVPs, I think is an established baseline that he should be inducted with no issue by the committee. I agree with you. I think he deserves to be in and I think he should be in. But I do understand why. Like if you go on Twitter, I've, in fact, I've seen several of them in the last couple of days, polls where people have asked if he deserves to be in. And they're like close, dude. They're like 53, 47. So it's very close. But here's the other thing is I'm kind of switching gears or at least sports here a little bit. But sticking with the Hall of Fame, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan, but that's got nothing to do with what I'm about to say. Derek Jeter obviously got into the Hall of Fame. 327 ballots out there. He got 326 votes. I don't care about the 326 votes. I care about the one who didn't. You have to be an asshole, okay, to not vote Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame. I have stats in front of me, but you know what? I'm not going to read them. Every single person who follows baseball already knows them. Here's my beef, and I want your reaction on this. There's just some people, and I, I think baseball votes, I think, I'm not positive, but I think they have to be transparent. I think that they're public. But I haven't heard anything yet about who's the one person who didn't. It, it pisses me off big time. And I know Derek Jeter is hardly the first great baseball player. Mariano Rivera is the only player in baseball history ever to be a first ballot unanimous Hall of Fame selection. I get that. There's players that are probably better than Jeter. In fact, there are who, who weren't unanimous either. That doesn't make this right, though. You have a responsibility as a Hall of Fame voter to vote for the best players. And, you know, if you and I were on a Hall of Fame committee right now, and we'll go back to football, we'll revert to football because not everyone cares about baseball and they don't know baseball players as well. But let's say Andre Reed was up for the Hall. Me and you could have an interesting debate about that. We can list some pros and cons. There were definitely better receivers in that era than Andre, but Andre deserved to be, and ultimately he got in. That's a, that's a legitimate debate. When Bruce Smith, when it was his time for his debate, that debate should take a second, right? I mean, what sort of freaking debate? How could somebody vote no to Derek Jeter being in the Hall of Fame? My point is people have personal agendas and to have a vote. And I just, I'm over it. And I just don't think that should happen. I'm pissed off. Maybe you're not, but I am. Well, I think the way that baseball handles their Hall of Fame is so unique, too, because in football, all you know is if a guy gets in or doesn't get in or if he makes it to the second stage. We have no idea. Maybe maybe there was someone in that room who said no to Bruce Smith. We would never know. We just know that he got in. We know that Andre got in after a couple of years. We know that Larry Walker got in this year after after a number of years. And when you make a public vote like that. Baseball is weird. You got the old guard versus the new guard. I think there's a lot of people out there, and maybe that's the reason why this one voter said no, who don't vote for basically anyone first ballot. I mean, Larry Walker, statistically, you look at his numbers in almost every statistical category, his numbers as a hitter were, be were better than Jeter's, and it took him years to even get barely above the threshold this year to make it in. I Derek Jeter is an all-time great player and thought of very highly, I think, by any baseball fan of his era. I don't have a problem with him not being unanimous. I think the if Mariano Rivera wasn't unanimous, then no one would be here today up in arms about it. But because Mo, who was from that same era of Yankees baseball and their dominance, gets in unanimously, and I, I think he should have, for the record. I'm all in for Mo getting unanimous Hall of Fame. But in an era where guys like him, Ken Griffey wasn't unanimous. Jeter isn't unanimous. It doesn't make him less of a Hall of Famer. 
But he deserves to get in first ballot and did resoundingly. I think that hopefully at the end of the day, everyone will just sit back a little bit. And I think we will find out as well who who said it and why they said it. Because I, I do believe, as you do, that those votes are ultimately transparent. Maybe they're hiding it for a little bit to try to let the, the heat die down before they say who it was. Um, but Jeter gets into Cooperstown as a, one of just two players and... I don't know. To, to be unanimous means you would have to be like the the all time best, and he's great. He's a superstar. He's an enduring icon for the Yankees. But I don't know that in the same way that Mariano Rivera is undoubtedly the best closer ever. That Derek Jeter is without a doubt has to be three hundred and twenty seven out of three hundred twenty seven votes an all a Hall of Famer in that same vein. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's episode is being supported by. Sounds assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today. I spent a lot of time listening to them. And the biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell. In fact, almost all the time, many people make this mistake. You go out, spend all your money on fancy microphones and boom arms, interfaces, recording devices, headphones, all the bells and whistles. But here's the problem. You get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, the result. Despite all the money you spent, all the stuff you got, the audio still sounds like crap. Listen, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend your hard-earned money on thrive. Sounds assured is top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because I personally have some of my own home studio furnished by Sounds Assured. Available in multiple sizes with very reasonably priced. And this is the most important thing excellent quality it's actually good stuff you can go on amazon and get the cheapest stuff out there and trust me i've done it too it might look the part but it doesn't work sounds assured definitely does again folks invest in your audio the right way visit soundsassured.com in fact give them a call someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you as a bonus use promo code moran 10 you'll get 10 percent off any order do yourself do your podcast do your audio production a very big favor Go check out soundsassured.com. All right, let's turn our attention towards some Buffalo Bills talk here. I want to, again, I haven't had you on in at least a handful of weeks. I kind of want to get your take on what your course of action you think should be for the Buffalo Bills this offseason. Not necessarily players so much as like, what are your priorities when you take this roster in terms of are there any guys on this team that you really want to see re-sign? Now, I'm not asking you to go through every single free agent and say, I'll, I'll sign this guy, I'll let this guy walk. But are there one or two guys that you definitely want to make sure that the Bills re-sign? Is there any one or two free agents out there that you very much want? And it doesn't, again, it doesn't even have to be a player. Like you say, I want to address this position via free agency and then kind of diddle for the draft. It's far too early to really start talking about at least many specific draft prospects at this point, but maybe a position or two that you think is better equipped for the Bills to address in the draft as opposed to maybe through free agency or, or trades. Yeah, and I, I think, the and before we get into this year, the best part of this for Buffalo is I think that no matter what they do, a lot of their core players are already locked in for the year. There's no one here looking at the avail- the free agents that to be here for the Buffalo Bills that just sends me into a panic if they don't have this guy sure, here next year. Right. Of course, there's some guys you would like to have back. Right. But they're lucky to, at this point, have everyone locked in. So before we get into who is kind of up for this year, my first thought is, you know, you got guys, Matt Milano, Trey White, Jordan Poyer. They're coming towards the end of their existing contracts. Now, they're not hitting the market right now. 
Deion Dawkins but, too. Yeah. Yeah. Deion Dawkins too. But maybe you start working with those guys, try to get the, the groundwork in here, try to get them locked in before maybe this season starts because, you know, especially with, with you think about what white's done, he just gets better every year. If you can lock him in, it's going to be a big habit, but you lock him in right now, what he's doing. Maybe next year, it turns out you're really underpaying him because if he continues to develop and get better, maybe that number would be higher if you let him play out for another year. And that takes a little bit of the weight off your shoulders. You certainly have the money moving forward to do so. That might be my first thought how you start restructuring the squad looking at who's actually available here free agents this year uh quentin spain is a guy i would like the bills to focus on getting back here continuing to reinforce that offensive line i would be interested in getting ladrian waddle as well i know he ultimately wasn't able to, to suit up this year with his injury issues but you know a career guy who could certainly add some nice depth here to this offensive line. you got a couple of your, your cornerbacks in both Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson who are going to be free agents. I would at least with Wallace for sure like to get him locked in here for a bit. He's been improving. I've liked what he's done in my eyes as one of those guys who's helping up to shore the secondary there alongside Trey White. And then, of course, the one that gets talked about a lot, and it should because it's maybe the two biggest names on the list, is what do you do at defensive line? Because both Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are unrestricted free agents and you know with Lawson especially you you turn down the fifth year option his contract is now up he had a pretty good I had his best year as a bill by far here this year Phillips is a guy who comes in and puts up double digit sack totals out of left field in part because of extended playing time that he wasn't even expecting to get here this year before Harrison Phillips went down to an injury the market value is going to be interesting because I don't think you're in a position where you can afford to pay Jordan Phillips too much money, especially when you've got Harrison Phillips and Ed Oliver and Starlet Silele locked in. And you figure that Oliver and Harrison Phillips are what you hope the future of your, your interior defensive line is going to be like. So I think he ends up ultimately going and signing somewhere else for a payday that he has earned himself here and more power to him for getting there. For Lawson, I'm really interested where that number is because exterior, like outside pass rush is going to be something they need to continue to build. Jerry Hughes is certainly not hitting that downturn yet, but you, he's on, he's in the latter stages maybe of his career. He's yeah. not young. He four and a half sacks last year. He only had four and a half sacks. That's not great. Yeah. No, and I mean, Lawson was one of the more consistent guys out there. Yeah. And Mur Murphy's not a young guy either. Lorenzo Alexander will be retiring. You can use some help on the outside. I would be... I would be interested in seeing what they could do with, with Jack Lawson. Even if it's a shorter, like you give him the old Sam Reinhardt two-year deal, maybe a little bit of a higher value than he might get somewhere else. I I would like to see him in here. I've, I don't want you to go crazy overpaying him here, but maybe see if you can't get him back on a little bit of a team-friendly deal and get him get him locked in to continue to shore up that outside pass rush because I think he showed this year that he is capable of, of being a nice spark there for that. That is also a position I would like them to consider attacking in free agency. There are some guys in the draft who are good at that pass rush area, but I think they're all going to end up being pretty well and gone by the time Buffalo is picking. Now it's cool to be able to say that Buffalo is going to miss some players because they played too well this season. We don't get to say that very often, but you know, maybe, maybe a guy who's been bounced around a lot is Yannick Ngakwe out of Jacksonville. He'll be a free agent here this year. Maybe you pursue someone like that in free agency. As far as the draft, um, I know receiver is talked about a lot and for a good reason. This is an incredibly deep receiver draft. And by the time the Bills are picking in the first round, maybe a guy like T. Higgins or LaVisca Cheneau is available there in that spot. You continue to shore up and give Josh Allen more weapons. I think you try to add a little bit to the offensive line. Maybe try to find yourself a linebacker as well because, I mean, Milano and Edmonds are fantastic, but you could use a little more depth there, especially losing Lorenzo Alexander. 
And then ultimately, I think maybe a little bit of shoring up with the secondary as well. If you can find another guy there in those those mid rounds to to play some defensive back, some nickel back there, and continue to improve what is already a strength. But you can't get complacent just because you're good at it. Take some good players, add them to that defense, continue to have that depth. And I think that would be what I would perceive here as the attack plan for them here this offseason. Let me ask you a question. If you could have right now, and it's still late January, if I said, let's take all the resources and improve the offense, if you could have the top, let's say 13, because the defensive line rotates. So let's just say, say maybe the 13 top players on the defense, all of them back next year. Would you sign up for that? Absolutely. Yeah, so would I. We're great this year. So would I. And here's the thing. And this is why I ask you this, because. I have thought that it's a absolute. I, I've always thought that Shaq Lawson is going to be like 50 50. I know that the Bills are interested in re signing him. I know that he's interested in seeing what's out there for himself, as he should be. But I think the Bills have legitimate interest in re signing him. In terms of Jordan Phillips, the pretty much the sentiment has been from what, what I hear is that, well, we're going to let this guy go out there and see what he can get. And if he wants to play here, here's our offer. You know, we'd love to have him back, but we're not going to break the bank for Jordan Phillips which I completely understand. But anyway, here was my point. I felt like it was a foregone conclusion that Jordan Phillips is gone. Here's the thing, though, and obviously I need to say this too. Potentially, these sheets mean absolutely zero. But I'm looking, in fact, I'm literally looking, as I'm talking to you right now, on both pro football focus, and I'm also looking on uh, football trade rumors, which is a very popular site. And I'm looking at all these various like top reagent lists. Jack Lawson is 86 on one and 68 on another. Jordan Phillips, despite having nine and a half sacks last year, the most of any defensive tackle in the AFC, and that's despite having a limited role because of Ed Oliver. Dude, he's not even on the top 100 on either. Now, I looked at Pro Football Focus, which is, you know, I don't always agree with what they say, but they're pretty thorough. I'll give them that. He's not on their list. I'm like, this has got to be a, a, a typo, a mistake. I've went on two other lists. He's not on it either. He's not on another top 100, and he's on another one that he's not on the top 50. If that's the case, maybe we're kind of, um, maybe as Buffalo Bills fans, maybe we're overemphasizing what his value is going to be in the open market because I'm at a loss at why he's not even in the top 100 when he had nine and a half stacks last year. If they could get them, if they could get him six, five and a half, six, maybe even up to six and a half million. I'll resign him gladly. Let's get him back. I thought he was gone for sure. I thought he was going to go get a four or five year, $40 million or more payday. Maybe that's not going to, maybe, I mean, it still could happen, but according to these sheets, dude, he's not even in the top 100. That's crazy. Yeah, maybe it works out that way. You can, you can bring him back. I don't think anyone would be mad if they, they ended up bringing him back. I think just everyone kind of resigned themselves to the fact that he'd be gone. But you cannot, there's no such thing as too much defensive line depth as right. long as you're not spending like astronomical numbers on it. And he clearly proved that he is able to play in this system with these guys around him. So, you know, if it works out, I'm all for it. If they, if they can get him and not have to break the bank, I would happily have him back on this team next year. Now, in the offensive line, the, the, the good thing this year compared to last year, last year was a disaster or a mess. Deion Dawkins was the only sure starter coming back. In fact, that's the way it played out. Whereas this year, especially if Quinn in Spain is resigned, like you said, he should be a priority. And I completely agree. They'll have their, not only will they have their top five back, they'll also have their top seven back because Inseki's still under contract and so Spencer Long. So they can resign Spain and be done with the offensive line and say, we like this line. We're just going to let him continue to grow and have some continuity. So that, it, it feels good to not have that 
be a problem like it was last year. Last year, I think me and you might have had several discussions about the offensive line, how terrible it was. I was going on goddamn rants <laughs> every single time I hook up with you or anybody else for that matter. Now, cornerback is definitely a position where I think they get addressed, whether it's free agency or to draft. I think they want to do better than Levi Wallace. Kevin Johnson's a free agent. He may or may not be back, which again is really weird because he's near the bottom of these top 100 lists, like around 94, 95, where I don't even see Jordan Phillips. But obviously the one position, and you mentioned a couple draft prospects, is wide receiver. That's the fascinating one because everyone knows that the Bills need to go on and get another receiver. And that's like a sexy position too. So people are talking about that. Juju Schuster's a guy that I've seen on Twitter this week, and I, it just might be fan rumor speculation, but they're talking about the Bills potentially giving up the 22nd pick in a draft to get him. I'm going to say this on air right now. I don't even need a response from you because you'll probably agree with me. That's not happening. It's not happening. The Bills are not giving up a first rounder for a guy who could play one year and then go on and go get a seven-year monster contract because that's what he's going to be eligible to get after this year. The Bills aren't paying that kind of guy. They like to go on and get receivers where like a Cole Beasley and a John Brown on more team-friendly contracts. That's the reason why I'm, I'm going to kick this back to you. Someone like A.J. Green, I know that's the easy name to say, and it kind of feels like I'm not really doing my homework, but that's the guy I keep arriving at because I think given his age and injury history, they could go out and give him a, pay him big money for two, three years without committing long-term and still draft somebody too. But I keep coming back to A.J. Green. As much as I don't want to, not because I don't like him, just because it's the easy thing to do. I keep coming back to A.J. Green joining the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, I, there's only a couple of veteran-type receivers out there. You look up and down these lists, and it's Green, Emmanuel Sanders, Randall Cobb, and then you get to, like, Demarius Thomas and that kind of realm of receiver. Green, and a little out of sight out of mind here for him last year when he sat out the whole year with, with his injuries, he's kind of that role of type of player that the Bills don't have. You have speedsters, good route runners. John Brown has been fantastic since coming here, but Green is a big-body guy. You can throw him some jump balls. You'd think you'd be a nice compliment to the group of players that they already have here. Because if you go out and get a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, you're going out and getting a guy who's going to be of the same archetype as John Brown already is. And if you think you're missing something on the outside, you should try to go get something a little bit different. So I would be I would be all for giving AJ Green. A, I don't think he's going to be looking for more than a, a year or two deal here at the age of 33. And coming off the injury, he probably won't be in a position to have a ton of bargaining power when it comes to trying to get, get himself locked in for the long term. And then, yeah, you, you go out and you supplement that by getting a guy in the draft who you develop. You have that control of him here for the first few years of his career, long-term contract coming out. And then you can develop him alongside veteran players all around him there at the receiver position. One other receiver, too, that I like as a potential pre I do, I am firmly believing right now that the Bills are going to sign a free agent wide receiver. And that's not to say they won't take one in the draft too. They might take one early. They might take one in the first round and still sign a guy. Robbie Anderson from the Jets. He kind of fits that mold to me of a John Brown and a Cole Beasley, a guy who can make plays and has been okay, good at times, but he hasn't been really consistent. That's kind of how John Brown and Cole Beasley were before they signed with the Bills. You can get him maybe on a three-year deal where it's easy to get rid of him after one or two years or even a four-year deal where you can get rid of him after one or two years, that's a guy that I could also see them uh, targeting too, especially if A.G. Green doesn't work out. One other thing about the Bills, and I want to finish up with some Sabre stuff. Do you feel confident right now? Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't do anything because they're going to do something, but do you feel confident with Dawson Knox at tight end and Devin Singletary at running back going into 2020 that they don't have to use a considerable resource 
to go out and get some depth. Now, I pretty I fully expect Frank Gore to either retire or just not be in Buffalo next year. Tyler Croft, he's going to be five million against the, or they could save five million against the cap by cutting him. That could happen, but even if they don't, Dawson Knox is probably going to be the guy going forward. How do you feel about those two guys? You feel good enough that they don't necessarily need to go out and go sign a big free agent or use a high draft pick at either of those positions? Well, starting with the one that I think is a little bit easier to answer, I think that a tight end with both Knox and Tommy Sweeney's been a decent asset too. Yeah, sure. those two guys locked in here. I don't think you have to go out and be crazy at the tight end position. Uh, you're not going to be in a position to take one of the top tight ends in the draft unless you trade up. I think that will be a waste of assets. I think you're you're good at this point with, with Knox and Sweeney. I think that Knox has a pretty high ceiling. He's not there yet, um, but you, you've seen flashes of what he's capable of on some of those better throws for Allen last year. A number of them were to Dawson Knox. The running back position, I am very comfortable with Devin Singletary being the lead back. The question I have is, what is their plan for the backup position? I think it is unlikely that Frank Gore is back as the number two guy next year. What do they think about T.J. Yeldon? T.J. Yeldon's a guy who was scratched for the better part of the season, wasn't even playing even limited role for right. the Bills offense. Is Sonoris Perry, who's a free agent, a guy they think anything of? What about Christian Wade, the uh, the rugby star, the preseason star last year? What is the plan for him? I think you could, you could go out and get a, a mid to late round running back or a free agent on a a low term a, a short term deal there to kind of shore up that position. I think you could use a little more depth there, um, but I don't think you again you don't have to go out. You don't have to be crazy here. I'm very comfortable with Singletary as the every down back or the majority of the down back. No one's truly an every down thirty carry guy in the NFL these days, except for maybe Christian McCaffrey, and he's the outlier. Um, but you, I think Singletary showed flashes, especially coming off the injury. I'm looking forward to a full season with him as the number one. All right. I agree. And uh, I think that they're going to sign somebody, but I don't think it's going to be a big priority. But I'll tell you what, in the NFL, especially Singletary, who had a hamstring inju- in- injury last uh, season early on, I'm not sure. And, you know, maybe that Houston game demonstrated a little bit of what I'm saying. I'm not sure that the staff fully trusted Devin Singletary as a rookie because he didn't even see a carry in overtime in that game against Houston. There were times where I felt like he should have been getting the ball a lot more and Gore was getting some of those carries. I'm talking about late in the season after Singletary showed that he could be an explosive back and do a lot of good things. So they're going to sign somebody. It's not going to be Gore, and I don't think it's going to be Yeldon either. But anyway, here's what I want to do, and this is one of the reasons why, many reasons why I love having you on the podcast. I got a lot of Bills friends, a lot of Bills uh, talkers on this podcast, but they don't talk Sabres. You're one of those few guys that I had that could do both. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least talk some Sabres with you. Because right now they're on a bye week and, and then the All-Star game. They're 49 games in, so they're 22-20-7 at 51 points. Here's the thing, though. We're in January. Bro, they're 10 points out of a wild card as of right now as we tape this on Thursday night. And I saw a stat on Twitter today. They're just 3% to make the playoffs. I mean, that doesn't really promote excitement for the last couple months of the season when you're looking at the Sabres and they're only 3% to make the playoffs. What do you, what do you make of that? It is consistently tough to be excited about this hockey team for one reason or the other. The only reason that you can get consistent excitement is when Jack Eichel is on the ice. Yeah. And this team is going to win games in spite of themselves because they have Jack Eichel. And it's great to have Jack Eichel. The problem is that there are not 18 other positions on the team that they are also required to fill. And they have done a questionable job with a number of decisions and players and roles and consistently playing 11 forwards and seven defensemen and the goaltending has been an issue. 
it is tough to see this team catching some of the teams that they're behind. Philadelphia and Florida and Carolina and Columbus are all playing much better hockey than Buffalo is. And you would have to catch all of them, basically, or at least the majority of those teams to make the playoffs. And it is tough to see this team that is Jack Eichel and friends, basically, with some players who are playing, basically wanting trades, even your your mid to low level guys want out of the organization. That should tell you you're playing Evan Rodriguez every night and he wants out. Yeah. That is about the spirit of this team. There's a lot of things, bro, that you can, fans got a reason to be pissed off about. You just said it. Even lower level guys like Rodriguez and Bogosian, guys who suck but are still getting out there more than enough. They want out. Jason Botterill, obviously, he's not making any friends in Buffalo. Fans are getting sick of him rapidly. But I think the consensus is the, the biggest reason why this season is probably more infuriating than a lot of the other non-playoff seasons, maybe even going back to the tanking years, is that you mentioned Jack Eichel. Right now, he's ninth in the NHL in scoring with 62 points. He's playing at an, if he's not playing at an MVP level, he's playing right there alongside the others at an MVP level. It's infuriating whether you're a diehard Sabres fan or even a casual Sabres fan, I think, to take a guy like Jack Eichel, a guy you tank for, your franchise player, one of the best players undoubtedly in the NHL right now, and you're literally wasting, you're rotting away a year of his, probably his absolute prime. Now, I'm not saying he's only going to have two or three years of playing at this level, but no matter what way you look at it, this is a year where he's playing at an MVP level on a team that could be a contender and the Sabres are completely wasting it, and and that's infuriating. And this is a year where he's been healthy, too. I mean, the only game that I can think about him missing was that flu game against Philadelphia. And if you, if, by the way, if you want to make your Jack Eichel for MVP campaign, uh, just play the video of that game against yeah. Philadelphia yeah. because they got absolutely housed in that game, and it was not competitive, and, that was, and Jack was back the next game, and all of a sudden they were good again. Yeah. Uh, it is... It is, it, it is really his prime. He is an amazing player, and he has everything that you hoped he would be, but the tank didn't work, not because Jack isn't great. The tank hasn't worked because they haven't figured out how to build a team around him. It has been uninspired at points. Maybe at its best, it was just a little amiss. I mean, Tim Murray came in, he took some swings at players like Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, and those worked to some extent, but they can never really build that group. And now Jason Botterill finds himself in salary cap hell and can't move anyone without trading a defenseman for a pick and then trading that pick for a below average winger and still find a way to only dress 11 forwards a night, which is absolutely incredible while Casey Middlestad's down in Rochester. Well, yeah. Finding the net a few times, but it, it, you need something to work on this team that isn't Jack Eichel. And right now nothing is consistently working. The defense has been fine. The forward death has been bad. Johansson without Skinner hasn't been great. Reinhardt hasn't been able to be a second line leader himself. Olofsson's been good, but he's not the kind of guy who at this point of his career, at least is going to be able to kind of be a catalyst for the offense. He's a guy who you know, is a, has a good shot, is able to be that, that finisher for guys like Jack Eichel. But there is no one on this team that feels like right now they can step up and be that second star. And you think about a lot of these recent Stanley Cup teams, think about the Penguins. It's Malkin and Crosby up the middle. Or the Kings with Kopitar and Dustin Brown being the leaders. Or Perry and Getzlaff and Anaheim. Or Kane and Taves 
in Chicago, you need to have more than one guy. Teams don't win Stanley Cups. And even last year with O'Reilly and Tarasenko and St. Louis or Ovechkin and Maxstrom and Oshie in, in Washington, you can't be a one-trick pony. This team is a one-trick pony. Jack Eichel will win you games. He won that Edmonton game almost single-handedly in overtime. And there are games like that, and it's great. Let's talk it would about be better if Jack didn't have to win them all the time. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of bright spots. And then I got one or two other things as, as we wrap up here. One of them, Linus Allmark, won five of seven going into the break, 932 save percentage during those last seven games, 914 for the season. At this point, he's clearly established himself as the number one goalie in this organization for at least the near future. I know UPL is coming up at maybe one to two years, and we'll see how that plays out. But here's my question the numbers look good. He's playing pretty well. How much do you trust him as a number one goalie right now? Like, let's say for the sake of discussion, I know how far fetched this could be for Saber fans out there, but let's just say the Sabres tomorrow were playing a crucial game to their playoff chances. They're playing the Bruins and Olmark's in behind the pipes. What level of confidence and, and trust do you have in a guy like him right now? Well, we're certainly not to, you know, Ryan Miller levels of confidence here in goaltending, but I trust Olmark a whole heck of a lot more than I trust Carter Hutton right now. Um, Mark is a little streaky. He's been pretty good, as you mentioned, over those last seven games. And 32 save percentage is really good. I will take that any day of the week. It's going to come down to just getting that consistency. He has to prove that he can do this consistently. He's had phases where he hasn't been able to, given up bad rebounds, kind of sliding himself out of position. He's just got to continue to play this well. If he can play this well, you're going to find yourself in some games. And I, now I wouldn't say that I'm confident in all market points, but I. I think you could do a whole lot worse uh, than, you, than you've been doing here with him over these last couple of weeks. All right, I got two more guys that I want to talk about. One of them on the plus side, and I'm going to actually read a direct quote. Lance Lazowski, the Sabres beat reporter for the Buffalo News, wrote a, a 20 Thoughts column, which I enjoyed that very much. I want to read a direct quote on Rasmus Rissolainen that he wrote. He says, the Sabres were wise to not give up on Rissolainen. In addition to his improved play on the ice, he's become a mentor to Henry Yokiharu. Rissolainen is responding to Kruger's message and made necessary changes in the offseason. The 25-year-old, sometimes I forget he's only 25, the 25-year-old defenseman also seems to be enjoying himself more. It's amazing what performing well can do for a player's psyche. Now, I've got to confess this. Every time I talk Sabres with you or anyone else, I say this. You have watched much more Sabres hockey this year than I have, so you're the expert on this subject, especially compared to me. Is he right? Is Rissolainen a different player this year? Does he look happy? Is he playing well? I mean, I was personally also in the camp of people that wasn't as harsh on Ristolainen as some other people were in the offseason when everyone True. and their mother on Twitter wanted him gone. True. Um, I do think he's played pretty well. There are still situations where he is a liability. He's not he's not a pure number one shutdown defenseman, which I think everyone hoped that he would be. But there are there are certainly areas that he's better. I feel like there's less glaring bad coverages and less glaring turnovers from him here this year. Part of that is maybe being put in better situations, better pairings for him, getting him and Scandella apart from each other, did both of them wonders. Um, and I think that this is the best hockey he has played for Buffalo in at least a couple seasons. And it's noticeable. He's playing with more confidence with the puck and without the puck. And it's hard to envision them moving on from him now at this point. Now, you mentioned this guy a couple minutes ago, Marcus Johansson. He is doing nothing right now. One goal in his last 19 games, I'm looking through the stats. One goal in 19 games, 
and he's entering the break, no points in his last six. Now, I know Skinner's been out, and he played with him, and that's hurt him, but that not that just completely unacceptable? I mean, this guy's supposed to be a top six forward. That's what, he's he was a free agent, that the one, I guess he was the biggest name forward that they brought in this offseason. You guys got one goal in 19 games? I mean, come on. I'm not as worried about the one goal in 19 games as I am about the lack of point production altogether, because I think at his best points this year, he has been a facilitator and a creator, the guy who carries the buck into the zone and then sets up his teammates. I think Skinner being out is certainly not helping that and Olsen being out as well, because that forces more guys who maybe would be playing with him onto Jack's wing, but he's got to find something and someone has got something going on with, and they rotate everyone through with him, but he can't find it with Sherry or VC or Opozo or whoever. And these aren't exactly dominant offensive players. He's getting to play with either. Um, but hopefully coming out of the break, they can figure out some combination of players who can get working with Johansson because it's a one line hockey team at this point, for the most part, his line has arguably been the worst because I think you're getting more out of, out of Larson and Opozo at this point by a long shot than you are out of Johansson and the guys who have been around him here these last couple of games. All right, last one here. And again, I'm going to refer back to Lance. I guess this is optimism. Again, the Sabres are 10 points out, 3%, probably buried. But if you want to have that eternal optimistic point of view, Lance writes, nine of the Sabres' first 10 games out of the break are at KeyBank Center. The stretch includes home games against Ottawa, Montreal, Columbus, Anaheim, and two meetings with Detroit. Of those teams, only the Blue Jackets currently occupy a playoff spot. Certainly a little bit of reason for optimism, but is that like any kind of realistic possibility that you personally see the Sabres getting back in the thick of a playoff race this year, or is this team pretty much toast? Well, if you can't do it in that stretch, you can't do it in any stretch because that's about as good of a, a grouping as ever. I mean, Ottawa is not anything to write home about. Detroit is absolutely terrible. Maybe the worst team that's existed since the lockout. They are a joke. And those are the easiest points you'll be given by anyone. So you better take them and run with them. Um, I think that you can make a little bit of a run there. I do think some of those teams are better than their records would indicate. You mentioned only Columbus being a, a playoff team. I think Anaheim and Montreal are certainly not exactly cakewalk kind of games. You've got to be able to win seven or eight out of those 10 games. And it sounds like a lot and it is, but winning you have to go on a streak here you have to win you have to string wins together because you're playing from so far behind at this point chasing teams that are 10 points ahead of you you have to be able to gain some ground on them in that stretch and if you can't then you might as well just close the door on it because you're not going to get a better stretch like that and if you're not closer after that 10 game stretch too you're so much closer to the end of the season that you're in a terrible spot trying to catch up even with less games ahead of you i don't think it's impossible to see the sabers being four points back after that stretch instead of 10 points back but they better hope they are because if they're not, then they're really in deep. Yeah. And I'll tell you, man, like you said, if they can get like 15, 16 points out of that 20, the one thing they do have going for them is despite the inconsistent play this year in struggles, they are 14, six and three at home. It's the road that's killing them. They're eight, 14 and four on the road. They've only won eight and they've lost 18 on the road. So maybe uh, if they're going to turn around here, like you said, it, it's definitely going to be now. Anyway, good stuff as always, Jeff. Everyone out there, give Jeff a follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Let me make sure I got this right. So we got the 716 Sports Podcast that drops on Tuesdays, and then we got Buffalo 20 that drops on Wednesdays. Been dropping on Wednesdays, yeah. That's the plan, at least for the short term. All right, bro. Thanks for doing the show, as always. Of course. Happy to be here, Pat. Glad to be back on with you.
All right, everybody, that is going to do it for another episode. Thank you very much to our show guest today, Jeff Boy, my guy. Love having Jeff on the podcast. Also want to thank our sponsors, 26 Shirts, Pulse Cellular, and of course, Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not done it already, please go ahead, do it right now. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow the show. You can listen, you can subscribe on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, you name it. Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. New episodes every Tuesday and every Friday. And when you subscribe, you're going to get them sent to you before anyone else gets them. Also, next time you're on YouTube, hit up the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Some original audio content as well. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PatMoranTweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways from time to time, some thoughts, going back and forth with other people on Twitter. That's my spot. That's where I love being. So you can find me there at PatMoranTweets. Thank you again so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I truly, truly appreciate each and every single one of you that are taking time from your day to give this podcast a listen. I know how many of them are out there and it means the world to me that you're listening. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend and I'll be back. Brand new episode next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.